The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know, but doesn't have time to tell you. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How are you, Lindsay? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. Yeah, we've got a, another good topic, we think. I think so. I think it's common and we all experience these things at some point or another. Yeah, so this week we're talking about kind of common aches and pains. This came from a an email that we received about um, just kind of asking how to distinguish common aches like arthritis, bursitis, and tendonitis, and how they should be managed when you do have certain symptoms. I think we'll kind of split it into different categories and, and go from there. Sounds good. What do you think we should start with? I think we should start with tendonitis. What comes to mind when, when you think of tendonitis? So with tendonitis, I often think of overuse injuries or injuries related to activity. Um, common places to get tendonitis would be in the ankles and the elbows. It can happen in the wrists too, with, again, with overuse. So we think of um, things like tennis elbow um, or Achilles tendonitis, golf. things like golf. Yeah. Yep, exactly, exactly. Anything else you would add to that, Lindsay, when you're thinking about tendonitis? No, those were the big ones for me. I think we probably get more into um, oh, what's the tenosynovitis in the wrist as well. Right. Now right. with hand and using the phones like we do. Phones and keyboards all day long, right? Yes. Right. Yep. So let's break down what tendonitis is for a minute. So tendon obviously are the ends of the muscles. They're the thicker tissue that attaches onto the bone. Itis means inflammation. So there's inflammation of the tendons. And again, there are common places where this happens because of how we use them. Like you said, for golfing, also for tennis, uh, for running or different uh, sports activities as well. Right. And so typically you would have, you hear um, people started a new activity or increased their um, time doing a certain activity and then get pain in that area as a result. Most people probably experience pain with tendonitis while they are doing the activity as well as after. Um, doing the activity is going to bring it on and then the pain will probably continue afterward, especially, again, if you were increasing your duration of the activity or the intensity of the activity, that might um, cause the symptoms to hang on for longer. Correct. And um, in general, um, it's with the same movement that you can get an increase in that pain again, right? So if it has gone away, but then you go back to it the next day, you'll intensify that pain again with the same type of movement. So again, you probably think of um, pains in, you know, around your elbow, around the ankles, around the wrist, maybe around the knees too at times. 
can be associated with swelling, will definitely be associated with some pain when you're doing that activity. And again, usually it's with repetitive movements. So golf, tennis, where you're swinging in a similar way. I feel like I've seen a lot of patients after like painting a, a painting project, yes. like painting a room in a house. Yes. You get to see, see you get some tendonitis. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what do you what do you recommend for these people, Lindsay? Right. I mean, the first thing is to stop um, and rest from that repetitive motion. Um, certainly ice and NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can be helpful. Um, those are the ibuprofen, Aleves, Advils, um, which you need to be careful with in, in how often you use. Um, Got to protect your stomach and there's some cardiovascular complications with using those things regularly as well as kidney. But um, for the short duration, those are uh, probably the best things to do for the tendonitis. Yeah. You have other recommendations? Yeah, no, I was going to say, this is just one where you don't, pushing through and continuing to try to do what you're doing will not let it get better. So you do have to back off for tendonitis, let things heal and settle down a little bit, and then hopefully you can start up again uh, more gradually. Right. Oftentimes, um, you'll see athletes wearing these little bands often uh, you know tennis players or golfers around their um, forearm kind of up by the elbow and those are supposed to relieve pressure on the tendons and help kind of uh, prevent or protect the tendon from tendonitis. Right so once you do those few days of rest and ice and NSAIDs you can as you start up getting a band can certainly be a helpful way to reduce that reduce that recurrence. Often physical therapy is necessary if it's an ongoing nag and you can't get get rid of it. Um, certainly physical therapy is beneficial. Yes. And in rare cases, um, I don't know, I, I very rarely would come down to surgery or to injection. You, we don't like to inject steroids in the tendons because that can weaken the tendon and, and increase the risk for rupture and things like that. Exactly. Usually we try to go the more conservative routes with this. Unless there's really uh, more severe pathology happening. And that's, like you said, pretty rare. Should we jump into bursitis next? I think I think arthritis is a bigger topic, so that's why I've kind of right, been saving so we'll that, that one. Right, so we'll leave that for the end, yep. I agree. Yeah, so bursitis, let's talk about what that is first, and then we can talk about what symptoms people might experience. Right, so we have several places where we have fluid-filled sacs that we call bursa that are... Um, located in areas where there's generally big bands of fibrous tissue um, where muscle and fibrous tissue are moving a lot and can cause a lot of friction. So areas like in the hip where the big IT band um, connects up to to the bone and so there's a fluid-filled sac under to kind of protect the area from friction. There's some on your knee, the anserine bursa. Um, the hip one's called the greater trochanteric bursa. Those are the most common ones I think we see that can become inflamed. Yeah. So these fluid-filled sacs um, become irritated, inflamed, and can cause a lot of pain. We see uh, so much, as a geriatrician, I see the trochanteric bursitis uh, very, very often. Yeah, and I think we should take a minute and talk about this one because a lot of people think that this is hip pain, as in hip arthritis pain. And so... With trochanteric bursitis, this is, again, the bursa or the fluid-filled sac over that outside of the hip bone, so on either side, 
you're going to get pain out on the sides. Not, you know, with hip arthritis, we often actually see pain in the groin or even in the lower back sometimes. This bursal pain is really on the, as far to the sides as you can go. And you can find a spot. You can yep. rub your hand up around the on the lateral thigh and you can find a spot and be like, oh my gosh, that's it right hurts. where it is. It's painful. Yep. Exactly. But it can become so inflamed that it inflames that whole IT band that, and so it can refer pain down to your knee even yep. with that trochanteric bursitis. It can be pretty, pretty uncomfortable. And so with that one, what we find is that people will notice it gets worse if they're sitting for long periods. So driving in the car can bring that on if you're driving, you know, doing a few hours in the car. Um, Otherwise, you know, if your mobility is lower and you're just doing a lot of sitting, that can bring on that bursitis. Uh, when else do you see it, Lindsay? People say they can't lie in bed on that that hip, and I think even lying on the other hip puts pressure on it. it because yep. of the angle of the hip um, when you lie that way as well. So. Yeah, sleeping doesn't go well. Yeah. What do we do for that? Or do you want to talk some about the answering bursitis is kind of the other one we see frequently. Yep, the answering. So again, on the on the inside of the knee, kind of to the inside of the knee, it's kind of the area where the big muscles from the thighs come down and attach to the bones down there. So the cushion can get inflamed and sore. That one is more typical in athletes and again, kind of people who are exercising or increasing their physical activity. I would say I don't see it nearly as often as I see trochanteric bursitis, though. Right. I would say, um, you know, if somebody was squatting a lot for their job or, you know, sometimes if you're cleaning, scrubbing the floors, I hear people that just went on a huge cleaning spree and were bending down. Yep. Yep. Those times, but much less frequent as as the trochanteric bursitis which is the hip yeah and then once in a while i will see olecranon bursitis and that's elbow bursitis Mm -hmm. Um, so there's another bursal sac over the elbow that one can even get really big and puffy where you see it uh see it enlarged with fluid and i would say that tends to occur kind of with things that put pressure on it so if somebody's been again doing extra cleaning where they're down on their hands and knees or sitting at a desk that's different from usual and pushing, putting a lot of pressure on their elbows, those things can inflame that um, olecranon bursa or the elbow bursa and cause pain and swelling. So those are the three big ones that we see. There are bursa in lots of places in the body. So these are not the only ones, but these are the most common ones that we see. And what do you typically recommend for treatment? It really depends on how severe it is. You know, like you said, for trochanteric bursitis, It can range from, you know, just a little pain to pretty severe pain that's almost debilitating in terms of people being able to get up and walk around. So, you know, for those more severe cases, I will send people for steroid injections. And it is, unlike tendonitis, steroid injections into the bursa can be safe. They can help reduce that inflammation um, and hopefully help people kind of get over that episode of bursitis. That's one that I think people get so much relief in general from that that and it can last I mean it can be forever relief and it's really I would guess satisfactory to be able to give that and and really relieve someone's pain yeah so if it's not so severe you can try you know cool compresses again ice packs Um, you can try NSAIDs again so ibuprofen Aleve Advil and again I only recommend those in moderation you do have to check with your pharmacist or your doctor because 
Um, they can interact with other medications. They can cause bleeding. They can affect your kidney function. So you have to be careful with NSAIDs, but a limited course of NSAIDs, so maybe for 72 hours with some ice and with a change in activity, if there was a certain activity or position that was contributing to the pain. Um, and sometimes that will help. But again, right. often for bursa, if it's bad enough, I, I do send them for injections. Yep, I agree. Um, physical therapy, I think, can also help yep. as well. Yep. Um, sometimes in a, with the uh, injection, I also send them for physical therapy to help continue to you know, learn good stretches and, and things to do to strengthen muscles around Great. the area. Exactly, yeah. What about... Um, the role for Tylenol, Lindsay, or acetaminophen is the other name for Tylenol. Is that something that you find to be helpful in people with bursitis? You know, it might help for some pain control, but it's not going to fix the underlying problem. So I don't, I don't often see that it's too, too beneficial. People will say, eh, probably doesn't help a whole lot. It might help, you know, before bed to try to get some sleep. Yeah. Um, but the underlying problem is the inflammation and, and the Tylenol acetaminophen doesn't decrease inflammation. It just in helps with way. the pain. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, so with the elbow bursitis or lecranon bursitis, if there is a lot of swelling and fluid, sometimes draining that can be helpful and it's an easy place to access to drain. So that's something that can be done if needed um, and usually will help reduce some of the pressure then. So that's, again, one one potential treatment for that location. I think the other big topic would be kind of the different arthritis. Arthritis is inflammation of the joints when we're talking about arthritis. So we have to distinguish that from other muscle pains, other other aches and things that we can have. It's not soft tissue or skin or anything. It is pain in the joints. And what happens is over time, well, so two different main types of arthritis. There are many types, but I'm going to group them into regular plain old arthritis that is due to aging and wear and tear, and that's called osteoarthritis. And then there's inflammatory arthritis, which is tends to be related to either underlying medical diagnoses or autoimmune conditions. And we that could be a whole episode on its own, so we probably won't go into great detail on that, but we can touch on it briefly. Sure. So we'll start with the wear and tear arthritis, uh, which is called osteoarthritis. And basically, you know, it's a degenerative joint disease um, when cartilage breaks down in between the joints. So the cartilage is kind of the squishy, soft, cushioning, um, shock-absorbing part uh, of the joint. In between the two bones and um, without the cartilage your bones start to rub together and this can can damage the joint it causes kind of bone overgrowth um, osteophytes and so those that's kind of the way often it happens in in uh, a, a joint that has been injured in some other way um, can set set arthritis up to happen in the future um, Otherwise, it's just kind of wear and tear and can happen um, just from aging. And most commonly, we see this in the knees, the hips, in the hands, of course, the back and feet. So places where we just get a lot of use throughout life. In terms of 
age, I don't know, I would say most, obviously it affects older adults more, but it's not uncommon. Even in adults in the, you know, 50-year-old range, we start to see some osteoarthritis, sometimes earlier, depending on um, previous activities and things. Yeah, so old kind of joint sporting injuries can can cause earlier development, I think. Exactly. And I was reading today, it's more common in women, which I don't know that I knew that necessarily. I think so. Yeah, I just saw that early osteoarthritis is more common in men. And it, at older age, it's women more than men. So mm. yeah, I guess men maybe start a little earlier and then women catch up throughout catch up. life. Uh-huh. I think being overweight puts you at risk because of that added stress on your joints or or occupations that have repetitive stress and I don't know. So I think often of people who are climbing ladders or stairs or those kinds Doing of things. Doing a lot of physical work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then family history can also potentially indicate some risk. So there may there are some genetic variants that um, increase the likelihood of osteoarthritis. It's not a single gene that says you're going to get it or not, but potentially some genetic variants that do predispose people to osteoarthritis. Yeah, you definitely see it in in families and they say, oh, my mom had that. I have it. You know, I know I'm going to have it too. Exactly. Um, what do you typically symptoms do? Would you hear people describe? Yeah. So it varies from one site to another, but in general with osteoarthritis, people are going to have more pain as the day goes on or as they use whatever joint is affected more. So if it's the knees, walking is going to make it worse. If it's the hips, walking will make it worse. If it's in the hands, again, it tends to be worse at the end of the day. Maybe if you're cooking and trying to open cans or stir, that can be difficult um, because of arthritis in the hands. So tends to be pain that is worse with activity. Um, there can be swelling with it. There can be some soreness when you put when you touch it or press on it. There are some uh, joint deformities that you can notice um, in the hands. You may get the thick, thicker knuckles. Um, usually, it's the the distal knuckle, so the one closest to the tip of the fingers, um, that you notice that. There's probably some some stiffness on getting up from a chair, but it quickly goes away after you get going. Yeah. Yeah. There may be some stiffness for any of the joints affected, but usually it's not long lasting stiffness. It might just be 10, 15 minutes and then things get better as you start moving around. And yeah, like you said, often you can get a swollen, warm joint, but if it's really red and hot, that would be unusual for osteoarthritis in general. Exactly. And probably mean that you should should see somebody to see what's going on. Yeah. And what do we usually recommend to to treat? So unfortunately with osteoarthritis, there's not necessarily a good medication. There's not a cure. Um, there's not a medication that really helps get at the underlying pathology or that wear and tear. Certainly with the big joints like knees and hips, you know, you can generally we try to start with conservative treatment, which might be Tylenol, might be anti-inflammatories like Aleve or Advil ibuprofen, um, again, used with caution and ice, and then potentially seeing an orthopedic doctor to consider injections, steroid injections into the joint, and ultimately joint replacement for many people. That's really the one fix for knee and hip osteoarthritis. In the smaller joints, it's, or do, you, do you have anything to add to that, Lindsay? Well, I would just say, yeah, there's, you know, 
exercise is recommended and certainly strengthening the muscles around the joint can help alleviate the strain on the joint and help. Uh, you know, Tai Chi has shown some benefit and some acupuncture, plus or minus some people. And you, I think you see people taking the um, glucosamine chondroitin. And really in studies, it's probably a wash for positive and negative kind of, so it's probably no benefit, but there's some people who swear by it and say, so I think it's harmless to try because some people do seem to get benefit, but it's not something I generally recommend because there's probably no proof um, in general that it is helpful. Yeah, and then, so there's also osteoarthritis of the hands. Um, that's a little more difficult because there's really not a good treatment for it, you know, the, in terms of surgery or joint replacement. That can be done very rarely um, for pretty severe cases, but otherwise it's really just supportive management. So like you said, Lindsay, exercise can be an important part of it avoiding you know trauma to those joints but exercising gentle stretching things like that can certainly be helpful and then anti-inflammatories as needed i think with the hands and we're seeing more and more of the arthritis of the base of the thumb probably yes. because of um the cell phone use um and i see a lot of people have benefit from the creams for those hand uh, arthritis pains so like asper cream or the other uh, pain creams like capsaicin. Um, so that's those can be helpful, I think, for those small joints where it really seems to kind of get get close to where your where your pain is, where you can apply it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, there's some um, anti-inflammatory gels like Voltaren gel, which can be effective too. So yeah, the the topical treatments have really improved in the last few years. I would say in terms of what's available, um, and they're always worth or generally worth a try because you may get some benefit. Um, the risks of systemic side effects are low because usually you just get um, local absorption of that. Right. And I mean, I've had people who we've tried on so many things. I can think of one particular patient for, for her shoulder arthritis pain. We really weren't controlling it with anything. And then all of a sudden she came back, said she was so much better and she had found a biofreeze patch, which she had tried a biofreeze cream and it didn't help, but somehow somebody got her this patch and that was like the miracle thing for her. So I think you just got to try. try different things. Yeah, yep, absolutely. You never know what will work for you. Yeah, there's the sprays, the creams, the gels, so patches. Try try different things and see what gives you some relief. Right. Yeah, anything else on osteoarthritis? I suppose there's several new things that are coming out. So like the um, stem cell injections and the Synvisc injections. Yeah. Let's... Which, yeah, I mean, I don't, they haven't really been found to to have much benefit in studies. Right. I think the, the verdict is still out on them. Right. They're, they're being studied and people are testing them and getting injections with them. And I've had a few people say that they thought it was helpful. Um, some have said they didn't. So, you know, it's something, I guess, to explore if you're having a lot of pain and don't feel like you're at the point of a joint replacement or anything. Right. And I think, you know, there's new things coming out because they really think what gets going is... Um, inflammation and so there's some very pointed treatments that are being tried and they're just in the beginnings of trials for that. 
that leaves us with the inflammatory arthritis. Um, the most common of these would be rheumatoid arthritis. And so with inflammatory arthritis, again, as I said earlier, there's kind of an, there's an underlying physiologic process causing increased inflammation. Sometimes, most commonly, it's an autoimmune process, as in rheumatoid arthritis, where the body's actually sent attacking the lining of the joints, and that creates an inflammatory response within the joint. Um, there are others that are associated with psoriasis or with inflammatory bowel disease, and so they all kind of have in common the inflammation. Right, so I think symptoms that you would have would be red, warm, tender to palpation or tender to touch, um, swollen. In generally, it's in the hands, the joints most close to the palm of the hand. In general, the proximal hand joints, the wrists um, can be in knees as well, but generally it's kind of symmetric. Um, so you'd have it in both wrists or both hands, uh, and it lasts a long time, so weeks or, or longer. It's not going to generally go away unless you get some sort of treatment. Right, and a lot of times the, the typical pain with this would be you wake up in the morning and that those affected joints are just stiff. The stiffness doesn't go away in five or ten minutes. It actually might last for an hour or two and take... Um, quite a bit of work to get it improving, like warm water, warm baths, things like that. Also, women greater than men in, in the inflammatory arthritis the majority of the time kind of it can occur at any age. There's certainly juvenile uh, arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, but uh, probably a peak age 50s to 60s, I would say, but certainly any time. There is a family predisposition to these inflammatory conditions or these autoimmune type conditions. So Having a family history can increase your risk of rheumatoid arthritis or some of these other inflammatory arthritis. Um, th- this, you need to be treated, and, and we want to get treatment going pretty quickly because joint damage that can be done, um, if not treated, can lead to decreased function and, um, and de- deformity, deformity. Yeah, over time. So you've probably seen people with significant deformities of their hands where the fingers are kind of bent out to the sides that's rheumatoid arthritis when it hasn't when early treatment didn't occur and sometimes even when it did right and then you can get some other systemic illnesses from it as well so some lung lung disease interstitial lung disease and some other things if we don't don't get it treated exactly so the medications we use for rheumatoid or for these inflammatory arthritis actually target um the immune system, and they they generally work to slow down our immune system a little bit, not to the point where you don't have immunity to other things, but just enough to um, slow slow or halt the process of the inflammatory arthritis. Right, and uh, kind of the first one we pick is would be I think methotrexate, and then uh, um, one that everybody's heard in the news lately is the hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> Everybody knows of hydroxychloroquine now, yes. So that's been a medication that we've used for a while for these um, inflammatory arthritis. It is a medication that needs to be monitored closely because it does have potential for side effect, but it can be very effective. And then there's the biological um, agents that are more injectables that can also be um, very helpful if those first-line 
medications don't work. Yeah, and I would say fortunately over the last probably 15 to 20 years, we've come a long way in terms of options available to help treat these. Um, So, you know, now there are multiple different you know, first line, second line agents that we can use to help slow down rheumatoid arthritis or the other arthritis. Prednisone is kind of the tried and true, which with the newer things we get to use less of, which is a good thing. Um, but often you might get it to to help with pain and inflammation while the other medications are started and getting, uh, getting to work. Exactly. And then wean off slowly. So when do you usually want patients to come in, Lindsay, when they're having these arthritis symptoms. So, you know, it may be hard for an individual to really be able to distinguish between, is it osteoarthritis? Is it rheumatoid? Do I need to be worried and be on medication or not? When should patients come in and see us or seek care for this? I think you're never at fault for for getting in there when you have something that's different um, than in the past. Uh, Certainly, if you can say, oh, I was just doing this new uh, activity and now I have this inflamed knee, you could probably give some rest and ice and time and see, uh, you know, several weeks and see if it goes away. But you'll never be faulted for going in and seeing somebody to evaluate. Yeah. And things that we'll want to know are, you know, if you can pay attention to which joints are affected, that's going to be helpful. Um, if you've had other associated symptoms with it, so besides just the joint pain or swelling or tenderness, you know, if you've had aches or fevers or morning stiffness, things like that would be things we would want to know. And of course, underlying conditions that you might already be aware of too. I suppose gout kind of gets in there on occasion. Um, yeah, and gout is another of those inflammatory <laughs> arthritis that is pretty common. Uh, fortunately, it's also quite treatable. Usually we see it affecting, you know, just a single joint at a time, although not always. Um, and people kind of know that one as the red, painful, don't want it to be touched toe or the side of the toe. And sometimes it happens after eating really rich foods. Right. And people describe it as you don't even want the sheet of your bed sheets to touch it because that's painful. Um, so that's a, t- that a time to be seen so we can treat that and get that pain under control. Exactly. And gout, we kind of have alluded to in another episode to the underlying pathology with that is elevated uric acid levels. We don't like those levels to be high because of potential damage to other systems. So gout is important to treat. And if you're if you've you've somebody who've had multiple gout flares, it is a good idea to be on medication to prevent that. I think those are our general broad categories. Hopefully that helps answer some questions. And if, if anyone has more questions related to this, please shoot us a message and we'll try to address them. I think there's more and more information coming out too. It'll be interesting to see in the next five, 10 years. Um, I've had a lot of people who complain of all all over joint aches and pains. And I've had a few who've really change their diet to kind of anti-inflammatory or to eliminate the sugars and the um, the simple carbohydrate right. types of processed things and really foods. have improved the processed foods and really improve their pain. So I think there is probably inflammatory foods that contribute to aches and pains and, and eliminating those is always a good thing to try at a, as a first resort as well. Absolutely. I think there's still a lot that we don't know in terms of how what we eat affects the gut and that affects everything else. So um, like you said, I think there will be a lot, hopefully a lot more information coming out in the next few years on that. So there are anti-inflammatory diets out there, which basically are Mediterranean 
uh, diets that we've talked about before, which are whole grains and lean meats and lots of plants and proteins and fruits and vegetables and really eliminating all those processed fatty foods. They're not going to cure your, you know, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, they're not going to cure it. But again, they might help just with some of the general aches and pains for some of these other conditions too. Right. Do we have any pearls today? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was the pearl. Okay. Sounds good to me. The pearl is the trying to follow a more anti-inflammatory diet. It helps with a lot of things, not just aches and pains, but certainly those as well. And I think I notice when I've eaten, we generally have a pretty good diet, but I can tell I ache a lot more when I've not eaten well. Yeah, I think it makes a difference for sure. I feel better mm-hmm. if I'm not eating a lot of processed foods and um, more energetic and less pain. Yep. Well, we've got some exciting news this week in terms of where our podcast can be found. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. So you can find us anywhere that you'd like to listen to podcasts, just about anywhere. All right. And please send us uh, your emails, questions, and concerns to everythingdoc.com. And the, the email address is mail at everythingdoc.com. Oh, thank you. No Sorry. problem. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Find the links to our show notes on our website as well. And as always, we love your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes. We'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.